Welcome back to the Training Model Podcast. This is episode number 11. If this is your first time checking out the podcast, I would recommend going back to the very start uh, and to catch all the context of the discussions that we have from the team meetings and and the questions that come through from the loyal listeners. Uh, If you're a loyal fan and you've been here before, welcome back. Thank you very much for checking this out again. I really do appreciate you and the support that you have for me and what I'm building here with Training Model. So, I just want to quickly jump back into episode the last episode, which was episode 10, just to show you where my brain was at last week after my weekend down at Apollo Bay. Uh, I thought we were on episode number nine. I was At the end, I was like wrapping it up and being like, oh, episode 10 next week is worth celebrating. Turns out my brain was mush. It was already episode number 10 uh, and we didn't celebrate it. So let's celebrate episode number 10, 10 episodes of training model. Um, Thank you for everyone that's been checking it out. I do appreciate it. And the support that I've been getting, the shares on social media, I love them. They G me up. The people dropping questions on the website, the people dropping questions on the Instagram uh, as well. I really do appreciate it and keep them coming because I'm going to keep rolling with this thing. Obviously, it's the first time I've missed a Monday. My apologies. One thing that you'll learn about me is... I quite often say that I'm going to do things and then uh, try to execute on them at a certain time frame, and my brain quite often doesn't really work that way, especially if it's just me and myself uh, involved. If I'm working within the team and I'm accountable to the team, it makes me more accountable to my timeframes. But when it's just me, uh, I quite often skip over things and miss things and all of that sort of stuff. So I missed Monday and I apologize for that. I already had two people message me and be like, where the fuck's the episode? Well, the episode's now on a Wednesday. So count your lucky stars because we're still rolling. And we are rolling in, before I actually get to the questions, we are rolling in with the second Foundations short course complete and uploaded on the website, which is the Training Model Coaching Foundations. So alongside the Business 101 Business Foundations course, those two courses was pretty much everything that I was educating through my uh, online mentorship over the last couple of years. They were adapted every single intake and refined. Um, and after three running three online mentorships, uh, I, it became apparent to me that the launch model of just running consistently the same content time and time again was not good for my brain. Uh, and hence, I've decided to transition all of that content and all of that material into short courses that can just live there on the website. People can jump in and get started whenever they like. Uh, and with the completion of the Coaching Foundations course, the Training Model Short course, we have now completed uh, the first phase of Training Model, which is really exciting. Uh, and and I just want to say thank you to everybody that's been involved with those courses so far. We've got 21 coaches in the business mentorship. I kind of pulled back on some of the business content content uh, as I was developing and starting to market and build the training model uh, short course, the coaching one. Uh, However, now that they're both set, I'm going to get back into both business and coaching discussions rather than just hammering coaching discussions. So more business to come, more coaching to come. Um, And yeah, thank you to everybody that has jumped into the training model short course already. I think we've got nine coaches in there to kickstart the launch, which is really uh, exciting and I'm very happy with already getting a couple of bits of feedback related to the course material, which has been awesome. And everybody's getting, getting 
getting stuck into them. So before we move into the questions, I just want to recap what is actually included in the training model short course. So if you are a coach who are interested in learning from me, my models, my principles, uh, this is the best place to get started with understanding, I would say 80% of the information that I use uh, and have used to build the strength culture coaching system and everything that I do and help help other coaches within all of that sort of stuff. So there's four main modules. The first modules is an the first module, sorry, is an overlook of all of the key coaching uh, models that I use within my coaching sort of philosophy. We unpack three main models and then discuss how it all fits together within my model. The first model is the constraints-based model and understanding what constraints are in the system, both uh, at a more global perspective of, of how a human functions and the human system, and then a little bit more tailored towards like programming and, and movement and all of that sort of stuff. Uh, the second model is the BPS model, uh, which has gained a huge amount of popularity. I also did a podcast on that model uh, itself uh, a couple of episodes ago. I think it was episode seven. Uh, so if you haven't checked that out, I'd recommend checking that out but we deep dived into the bps model and the application of the bps model I also then went through the top down and bottoms up model that I have sort of adapted from the teachings of Mladen Jovanovic. Um, so that is really discussing these sort of like coaching strategies and, and coaching frameworks that you can use to either add constraints, add, add top down constraints or remove some of that and move more from a bottoms up approach with coaching where we're sort of like dealing with in the, in the real time of what's happening and what's presenting in front of us and how we can build both robust strategies around both of those for different clients in different contexts and all of that sort of stuff. So that's module one. Module two is my movement model. Uh, so if anyone who of the 40 odd coaches that came to the Understanding Center of Mass webinar, uh, all of that content is in there, plus the pre-context for Center of Mass, which is the skeleton and unpacking the axial and appendicular skeleton and how breathing and gait cycle can be used as lenses for human movement and how we can use those model way, model way of thinking uh, to improve our understanding of what's actually happening in the gym in real time with clients and managing center of mass and how breathing and gait cycle can influence our understanding of center of mass as well. And then we go through a whole bunch of like technique uh, sort of coaching and, and strategies around different techniques and uh, what we could do with clients with some case studies and all of that sort of stuff. Uh, module three is the programming model. Uh, so we unpack and define load because load management is the number one key principle when it comes to programming. However, I do think that a lot of coaches and a lot of allied health professionals don't have a practical understanding of uh, managing load that falls outside of just simply reducing training volume and training intensity. There is far more to understanding exactly how the system is being loaded than just the external load that's placed on. Again, I did a podcast on that uh, a couple of episodes ago. So if you haven't checked that out, I would check that out as well. Uh, we then went through all of the principles of programming. So specificity, phase potentiation, load and stress management, uh, and in individualization bit of a recap of those key principles, the variables and how we can actually modify and adjust programming from the big rocks being volume, intensity, and frequency, and the smaller rocks being exercise selections and rep ranges. Those smaller rocks are far more bottoms up approach styles with those volume, intensity, and frequency landmarks and strategies being a little bit more top down. We're confined and we really need to build that stimulus using and, 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 and prioritizing those big rocks of programming. Uh, and then finally, we went into program design 
design and how I would recommend setting up program design, starting new clients, uh, modifying training, uh, modifying sort of progressions throughout block to blocks and and, and sort of mesocycle developments. Uh, so that was a really thorough conversation around program design. And then finally, module four is like coaching application. I will be adding another case study to the coaching application that's a little bit more strength focused. So that will be dropping or I'll be adding that into the course uh, probably over the next eight or nine days before the end of the break when I start to take some time off, which will be on the 22nd. Uh, And I look forward to adding some more context and and application over the coming months uh, when I get back into the swing of things in the new year as well after becoming a dad. So that is the outline of the course. It's uh, eight and a half hours, nearly eight and a half hours. I think it came out to be about eight hours and 15 minutes worth of content currently. Um, And it is available on the website for $499. However, as a loyal listener to the Training Model Podcast, you can save 10% off both the business course and the coaching course with the code Team Meeting, and that 10% will work for both the payment plan options as well as the upfront payments. So uh, again, Team Meeting, one word, will save you 10% across all of the different payment options for both the coaching and the business foundation courses. So very keen to have phase one completed. Uh, Once we get back in the swing of things for 2024, that will be phase two of training model, uh, which is an onslaught of in-person education processes uh, and really fine-tuning my my education processes around movement. I really want to continue to to move down that route and really become one of the spearheads of the Australian strength and conditioning, powerlifting, strength training, whatever you want to call this field that we're in uh, and spearhead uh, the movement side of all of that sort of thing. So I, I, I think that's probably my biggest strong suit as an educator and it's the thing that I enjoy the most. So I'm keen to dive further down that rabbit hole uh, with some seminars and workshops and all of that sort of stuff. I will be going around Australia. Um, Those dates will be confirmed in January, uh, but they will be throughout March and April. Uh, For the first time ever, I'm going to open up multiple states at once. Normally over the last few years, I've sort of just leaked those in. So I'd do Melbourne and then I'd promote the Sydney one and then promote the Queensland one. Um, However, this will be the first time ever that I drop all of the states at once uh, and try and tick them off over the, probably over a month period. Uh, if you are in Perth, Adelaide, or, um, or Tasmania... Uh, what I would say is help me help you. Uh, I don't think that I have as big a following and as much support within those sort of states. So if you are a coach over there and you want me to come to one of those states as well, uh, if you can guarantee me maybe like six to eight sales initially just to get uh, the cover my cost to get there and, and rent the space and and, and execute on the weekend, uh, I would love to come to those states as well. So if you are a young coach or a coach over in those or an allied health professional in one of those states, please just reach out because I would love to set something up in those states as well for that time period uh, and really start to develop this entire process of phase two of the training model sort of business, I guess. So uh, yeah. Now let's move on to the questions. I put up a Q&A box today, actually. Had a couple of questions come through, but two in particular stood out 
to me. One was from Luke related some bi- relating to some business tools and softwares that I would recommend. The other one was from Skeets Mosquita, which is sort of like unpacking my assessment journey over the last few years. So we're going to start with the business one. Uh, these will be the two co- uh, topics that I unpack today. The first uh, question was related to different business softwares. Um, let me just read it out properly. What are some tools that you use to help manage your business and what would you recommend? So that's from Luke. Um, and I, I chatted with him just quickly. I sent him a couple of messages um, related to the question and he wanted more like softwares and, and all of that sort of stuff because there's a lot of software out there that you could use to develop your business and sort of what I would recommend and maybe the process of uh, sort of investing in these softwares. Because I think with the the strategy, the finance strategy that I would recommend and that is covered in Business 101. Uh, I need you to think about these softwares and these sort of uh, support structures as investments into your business. Uh, And those investments are hopefully allowing you to get time back and to improve your strategies around your business structure as a whole. Um, So the first one that I would recommend most coaches begin to move down into does relate to finance. And that is some in some capacity, uh, whether or not you hire a bookkeeper uh, and you could probably just consult with the bookkeeper that would manage your, your, your books from a finance perspective, or if you kind of learn to do it yourself through an accounting software like Xero, I think that is the first port of call for software management help from a business perspective. The reason is, and it's one of the main quadrants in Business 101, the reason is, is because finance is make or break for your business. Uh, I can't tell you how many coaches I have had conversations with and mentored over the years related to managing finance uh, and just how little our people in our industry uh, understand around finance management. And it's no fault of your own. Uh, A lot of us just got into coaching because we had a passion for training ourselves and then we wanted to learn more and then eventually it just flows into you become a personal trainer. It just, the, the unfortunate thing with that process is that once you become a personal trainer, unless you're uh, in a fortunate position to be employed by someone, so something like one of the boys that are uh, here with me at Strength Culture, unless you're employed and you work full time and you get a start, uh, you get a wage and you get salary and you get uh, super paid for you and you get your tax all sorted for you and, and all of that sort of stuff and you leave. Uh, if you just work for yourself and you manage all of the money that comes into the business, uh, we just don't have systems and structures in place because you probably didn't get started in personal training and coaching to own a business. Just the reality of it is once you start, if you work for yourself, you are running a business, whether you're aware of it or not. And uh, there are certain things that need to be in place surrounding tax, superannuation, GST, all of these sort of things that you're probably just unaware of. I do cover it all in Business 101 from my perspective and what I've learned. However, the biggest thing is actually stepping into finding an accountant that you trust and that you can work with and grow and develop with and think about that conversation with them being more like a coach. You're going to work with them. You're not just going there to dump your problems on them. You need to work and build systems and structures with your accountants. Um, And then also part of that would probably be like bookkeeping or some accounting software. And Xero is the one that I would recommend it is really user-friendly. It 
uh, automatically works alongside your uh, your bank accounts and you can structure your bank accounts in a productive way uh, using something like the profit first strategy, which I would recommend checking again, or you can do business 101 to learn how this whole thing integrates together. But the accounting and bookkeeping is without a doubt the first step that I would recommend people take as soon as they have uh, some money coming into their business uh, because finance management is the make or break of the success of your business long-term. So uh, that would be number one. There are other softwares out there. I think one is called Henry um, that uh, has been recommended through a lot of my mentoring uh, programs over the last few years. Uh, that one seems to be gaining popularity. Uh, so that could be another one that's probably worth checking out. I personally have never checked, I've never worked with Henry, um, but you could probably Google it and, and have a look uh, at what they offer and how it's involved in the prices and all of that sort of stuff. But yeah, without a doubt, finance management help and softwares is going to be the first port of call for pretty much anyone. Uh, an accountant's sort of wrap up within that as well. The next one I'm going to discuss would be a CRM, which is uh, a client relationship management tool um, or just these softwares and, and uh, that you can use to import data related to all of your clients. And you can use these things to really help onboard and, and fast track your onboards, onboarding systems and structures. Uh, you can use CRMs to help manage your retention data. You can use CRMs to help manage your finance data, uh, your marketing and sales uh, kind of fits depending on the CRM that you use, but that stuff kind of fits within this CR these CRMs as well. And they're very affordable. I use one called Gym Master, um, which can be used as just a coach if you wanted to. Uh, but Gym Master for me allows, uh, it's, it's, it's really the portal that all of our memberships and payments and all of that sort of stuff links within. Uh, and it's sort of just like a, a, a catch all for the client relationships uh, and the management of those relationships uh, throughout the entire journey of coaching. So it stores their data, it stores their finance data, it stores all of their retention data. Uh, you can you can build automations in there with emails and uh, you can very quickly send emails to active members or canceled members or, or leads and prospects. All of that sort of stuff is available once you have some kind of a CRM in place. Um, you can also link calendars to it and book sessions and calls through it um, as well. So that could be another step that you could take. But I think a CRM uh, is important in some capacity, you can build your own CRM on sheets or you could pay someone to build your own CRM on sheets. But um, I think the biggest thing or the time in which to invest in something like a CRM would probably be once you start to move towards your capacity as a coach. Uh, so for most people, this is going to fall within sort of like 30 to 50 clients. If you're swimming in that range uh, or if you plan on hiring someone else or working with someone else, I think a CRM is a no-brainer. Um, it's, it's not that much. It's only a couple hundred dollars per month. Let's say it's 50 bucks a week. Uh, and you can really help fine tune and automate a bunch of your processes from a business perspective. So uh, the second software uh, that I would recommend potentially checking out would be some kind of a CRM uh, for your management of your clients and, and all of the data that comes from that. Again, more than likely, 
more beneficial when you're nearing capacity. If you've got 10 to 15 clients, you can very easily manage that sort of data just with active and canceled client lists, uh, which I do go through with the Business 101 course. Uh, But eventually, you'll probably get to a point where you need something that's a little bit more tailored to actually uh, pulling data and and, and softwares and structures that can actually help you uh, manage all of that stuff as you continue to grow, uh, without a doubt. podcast sponsored by monster next up we have uh zapier so zapier is another software uh so it has actually has a free service initially uh although you can pay to to open up more zaps but zapier is a service or a software uh that you just log into on on the web on their website And you can automate, so what Zapier does is it automates data transfer uh, between different softwares. So the way that I use Zapier is I have a bunch of, uh, through my website, I have a bunch of uh, forms and leads and prospects and all of that sort of stuff that come through the website every month. Uh, and the way that Zapier works is it takes those information, that information and that data once it has been completed on the website and it moves it all into my different spreadsheets that I track uh, my marketing and sales through. So it just automated, automatically takes uh, for myself website data and moves it into spreadsheets. So that way I can keep better a track of my marketing and sales data, uh, the leads and, and sort of warm and cold leads. Uh, and it's a really important software that has helped fine tune the entire process of the client journey from marketing through sales and into ultimately the service for the coaches. So Zapier would be another really important one that I would recommend checking out. You can automate things from your email providers. You can automate things from your finance providers. You can automate things from your website uh, and all of that sort of data that comes in, it can very quickly just start to move towards your spreadsheets or towards other data services that allows you to actually manage it uh, more productively. So you can have information coming from multiple areas all all going into the one spreadsheet. Uh, Zapier has been hugely important for how we now run marketing and sales here at Strength Culture. Uh, and it's another one that I would recommend checking out. Uh, the great thing with Zapier as well, there's a bunch of like YouTube channels that help you build zaps and, and work out how to structure those sort of things, um, which can be really helpful in getting yourself off the ground using their systems and their sy- softwares. That's the same with Zero as well. Zero has a fantastic like help center um, and uh, they've also got a bunch of people on YouTube that make content uh, for you to actually utilize uh, the the full plethora of options within their within their softwares. Also with the CRMs, you so so Gym Master have a fantastic call center that you can just call and uh, they'll they'll more than happily help you with whatever you're trying to build out. So a lot of these things, you get support with them along the way, which is part of the reason why investing in these sort of things is such a smart idea to move forward with. The next one is, and this will be the final one that I discuss, uh, is a website. And uh, I think the conversation around a website for coaches sort of falls within two categories. And I definitely have a bias to the first category, which is learning to build your own websites through 
things like Squarespace. I use Kajabi because I have all the courses and I wanted to fine tune and, and bring everything from marketing and emails and all of that sort of stuff into the one portal. That's why I use Kajabi. It is a little bit more expensive than a Squarespace or a, uh, a solo just like website software. Um, the thing with Kajabi is it's marketing. So it has the emails in there. It has the courses for me and it also has the website and the portal of the website, uh, which is really good. And it also tracks finance because it connects with Stripe and all of that sort of shit. So that's why I use Kajabi. You probably don't need Kajabi just to get off the ground with though. Something like a Squarespace can be fantastic, but whatever it might be, I think a software to help you build and manage your own website eventually becomes something that is important important depending on what your plans are as a coach. You don't need a website to be a successful coach. Um, and for a lot of people, I think it just becomes a a distraction from actually doing structured marketing and, and working on your business. Um, However, there will eventually get to a point where you probably need to develop a website, especially if you continue, if you want to grow and you want to develop staff and you want to really develop a, 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 a formalized brand around what you're doing. Um, having a website is a no-brainer and almost a, a prerequisite to really taking that next step from a business perspective. Um, I, re- I would recommend building your own website and having that skill set within yourself. The reason is, is because there's so many times where you want to update information, launch offers, create programs, uh, whatever it might be. If you can do that yourself, you can very quickly make those changes as necessary rather than going to somebody who builds websites and waiting for them and uh, they do it wrong and you have to go through the process back and forth, back and forth. Like I think building a website, learning how to copy, learning how to... um, frame and, and build offers and all of that sort of stuff is an important skill set to have if you really want to take your business to the next level. And it's one of the main things that uh, I'm involved with here at Strength Culture, which is just managing the website, managing offers, managing copy, managing marketing, and how all that stuff flows to the website. Final, and then finally using things like Zapier to take that information, take that data, take those leads, uh, and and set up the sales process that goes on the back end of that. So I think a website eventually becomes a non-negotiable for a successful business within our sphere. uh, And it's another software that eventually might become something that you need to look at investing into. So um, that would be the four main ones. So some sort of uh, accounting and bookkeeping thing, I would recommend zero. Some sort of CRM, uh, I use Gym Master for that. Zapier is a no-brainer. That's that sort of linking thing that automates a lot of data transfer. And then finally, a website in some capacity. There will be certain checkpoints that I would recommend that you hit to, to invest in these sort of softwares. But with a long-term plan and actually developing a career, which is the foundation of what Business 101 is. It's helping you build the back end of your business so that you can actually take the stress and take the anxiety away from that process of trying to build a career because it can be done uh, and it it should be a goal for everybody that starts personal training, starts coaching and that is that I want to do this long term but part of that doing it long term means you have to actually build your back end to support and reinvest into these sort of softwares and these sort of processes and strategies to help you grow long term Um, and that is why Business 101 is there. The the caveat to all of that is that... um, Throughout the course of Business 101, I actually show you how you can set up all of these processes for yourself 
prior to actually starting with software. So if you're a younger coach or you're not ready to make those steps, um, all of the resources, all of the downloads, the spreadsheets, everything that is in Business 101 is designed to start you on that process of managing your marketing and managing your lead generation and how you're, how you're dealing with the leads that are coming in and servicing them and, and not losing leads because you've just forgotten about things and uh, how that process of conversion rates and sales data is informing your offers and your marketing strategies. Uh, and then finally, your your retention data and, and actually tracking retention data and the important metrics around how well your service is actually, uh, is actually executing and what that information looks like and how we can use that retention data to inform your decision-making from a coach perspective, from a service perspective, from an offer perspective, and how all of these processes actually link together from a business back end. Uh, and then finally, finance and finance systems and structures so that you can actually proactively have profit in your business so you can reinvest when the time is right and managing your money and managing your tax and managing your superannuation. All of that sort of stuff is in Business 101. That is exactly what the course is designed to do. So if you're lost, if you're stressed, if you're anxious around all of that sort of stuff, I can't recommend Business 101 enough. Uh, check it out. If you have questions related to the course, shoot me a DM. I'm happy to chat. I'm happy to jump on a phone call and, and discuss if it's a good fit for you or if it's the right stuff for you and where you're at with your business. Um, but I can't stress enough that that is exactly what Business 101 is for. It's developing your business back end, the foundations of your business structure. Um, I'm not teaching you how to go and find 100 clients and grow and X and scale and all of that sort of shit because fundamentally that stuff doesn't work if you don't have confidence in your business structure itself. So uh, if you are interested in learning more about how I would recommend getting started with developing your business backend and maybe the processes that need to be in place before you go and execute on these systems and softwares that we've just discussed, check out Business 101. Team meeting saves you 10% on both uh, of the programs. So uh, both of the payment plans. So hopefully there's some help from there uh, for those looking to uh, undertake some of those softwares and, and, and all of that sort of stuff within your own business. Moving forward now to Skeets Mosquita. Hopefully you're, I think you went to Japan. Hopefully your Japanese trip was good fun. Um, and Skeets, Jacob was asking about my assessment journey as a coach. So now changing gears to more of a coaching thing. Uh, the specific question was your history with movement assessments and your current thoughts and rationales around them. So uh, my history with movement assessments began uh, where, actually it began before I went to Cressy. Uh, in 2016, when I was just personal training. Uh, so like 2013, 2014, 2015, um, I had actually developed a little bit of a movement screen that I would do with uh, my clients. And a lot of that was founded off uh, two courses. I hadn't done the courses at that point in time. However, I had found resource, resources online that discussed those two courses. And that was the FMS, the Functional Movement Screen, and the SFMA, which is the Selective Functional Movement Assessment. Uh, and they both come from the same school of... Um the same school of business or the same the same company. And that company, I think, was founded by Gray Cook, uh, who has uh, a bunch of movement sort of uh, 
movement-related uh, content and textbooks and certifications and all of that sort of stuff throughout uh, his journey of, of just developing education materials. Um, the SFMA was far... I eventually went and did level one and level two of the SFMA, um, which was beneficial, and I definitely learned a bunch of stuff. However, I'd no longer use or promote what the SFMA, like their school of thought uh, and their assessment process, but I'll get into why. Um, the FMS was actually taught when I got to uni as well. Um, and the FMS, the functional movement screen, has been slaughtered, and for good reason, it has been slaughtered within research. Um, so if anyone doesn't know what the FMS is, uh, it's like a, I think there's like five or six assessment screens that you can do from a movement perspective, little things like an inline lunge walk, an overhead squat, uh, like a bird dog, a push-up variation where your arms are overhead. Uh, there's a whole bunch of little, little movement screens that you can do. And the whole idea was like a scoring system of one through three points um, to see if you're, pa you're passing that quality of movement. So th those movements would be uh, assessing mobility of the different joints within the body. Uh, and the, the screens were sort of set up so that you could expose like ankle dorsiflexion or you could expose hip internal rotation, hip external rotation, or shoulder external rotation, shoulder internal rotation. Um, and eventually... Uh, it used to get promoted heavily. Um, I'm going back like 10, 15 years in the industry now. And then it just got slaughtered in research. And, and there's one paper in particular, which I think is on firemen, if I remember correctly. Um, and they they kind of like assessed all these firemen and then found out that all of them would fail the movement screening assessments uh, of the FMS. However, they were still completely functional in all of the tasks and everything that they needed to do within uh, their job and within their sort of fitness journey uh, that, that is involved with their career. Uh, and that was the crux of why FMS was, I think, fundamentally a broken system and that why our progressive understanding of where assessments and movement assessments sit now. And that is that and, and that is because uh, movement screens, and I picked up this quote from, um, I picked up this quote from Eric Cressy when I was over at my my Cressy Sports Performance internships. The whole idea or the whole problem with movement screens is because they become prescriptive, and and what I what I mean by that is if we are if we assess movements. And then that just leads onto a flow on of set prescriptions. We are not using movement screens in the way in which we should. And Eric Cressy's quote is movement screens uh, should not be prescriptive, they should be descriptive. And by descriptive, what we should be trying to take from these movement screens is that we're analyzing and we're observing. It's helping us paint a better picture of what's happening in front of us. It's helping us describe the movement strategy that our clients are using. However, the movement strategy itself is probably completely fine and uh, usable and modifiable through good training. It doesn't so much mean that when we see movement screens being failed or we're seeing uh, movement capacity limited in some capacity, whether it be mobility, strength, performance, speed, whatever it might be, we can't use what we've just seen and then flow on through a prescriptive model of 
coaching strategy. It's not the right way to go through movement assessments. The correct way, and this is what I fundamentally believe now, is that we're using movement screens to better describe what is happening in front of us and how the movement strategy is being completed. And then with that description, we can then have a better conversation around what is actually needed and whether or not adjustments are needed to be made. So the whole problem with the FMS is that you would fail these movement screens and everybody would fail them. And then all of a sudden it meant that it would cross off certain exposures to movement and loading and all of these sort of things within the gym program that you shouldn't be doing. Um, And that's just fundamentally wrong because there's so many ways that you can actually complete tasks and achieve movements and motor outputs and motor competencies. Uh, Everybody is going to express movement in a different way um, and that's completely fine. However, we probably still need some sort of a screen to happen. Uh, So that was the FMS. The next one was the SFMA. So the SFMA was sort of like a deeper layer into the the FMS uh, and it was more related to pain and dysfunction around pain. Um, And it's a sort of an algorithmic process that you roll through to understand exactly what is limiting the client. So you could have someone that has a a niggly shoulder, you could do a bunch of the SFMA tests on top of that shoulder, and you could very quickly identify, okay, this person is extension intolerant, or this person is intolerant to external rotation, this person is intolerant to shoulder flexion. You could find exactly what they were intolerant to, uh, and then that would then lead you down a path of actually modifying your programming around that intolerance. And if anybody has ever followed um, uh, Stuart McGill's sort of research and discussions around back pain, a lot of the stuff that he talks about was using, whether or not he was using the SFMA, but a lot of the terminology and a lot of the sort of uh, the logical processes were similar to what the SFMA presents, which is that you identify what the intolerance is. So for, for Stuart McGill, it would be you have flexion intolerant back pain, or you have extension intolerant back pain, or you have rotation and extension tolerant back pain, or whatever it might be. And that helps frame the strategies that you continue to move forward with. And fundamentally, that is all I took from the SFMA. And that is that when we have a niggle or a sore spot, we could probably try to identify what exactly the intolerance is to. So if you've got someone with pinchy hips, you could probably work out, all right, it's internal rotation and it's hip flexion. And that would then feed to maybe we don't do deep squatting for a period, or maybe we modify range of motion, or maybe we change the loading parameter so that we get a posterior shift of the center of mass to get posterior pelvic tilt, to get some ab tension, to open up that space and not move into those painful provocative positions. That is all I took from the SFMA. And although although I don't follow the SFMA process anymore, that principle of identifying what the intolerance is and then modifying programming and exercise selection and execution and cueing and range of motion intensity and volume is still deep within how I process moving around uh, intolerant areas within coaching and and within uh, clients and and what they're presenting with. So um, it's a very easy way, but I think the crux of the SFMA and all I really took from it was that process, which is find the intolerance and then modify the programming so that we can 
still continue to train and focus on the things that we can do. However, we probably can deload in some capacity some of those things. The other thing, another layer deeper to that is from, from an external loading perspective, um, you may also have people that have volume intolerance. So they can ex execute one or two good sets, but then once the fatigue starts to set in, that's when the intolerances begin to build. That would be another exposure of using that principle. And this is why I'm so bullish on principle-driven coaching is because the principle principle is what matters. It's not the specific of the method or the intervention. The principle of identifying what's intolerable and then productively working around it is important. However, going through these processes of assessment doesn't matter. So volume could be one. Um, intensity could be another uh, threshold that people uh, sort of cross and, and with intensity thresholds it might be that they're fine with doing RPE 7s and 8s but as soon as we push towards 9s and 10s all of a sudden we start to get that niggly feeling coming back that's fine let's pull things back from an intensity standpoint and actually move through productively with just 7s and 8s for a period that would be another sort of intolerance that you could be dealing with um, the other one would be a frequency intolerance so a big rock of frequency uh, maybe they can execute one frequency per week of deadlifting and they're completely fine but as soon as we move to two times a week frequency of deadlifting all of a sudden we start to get the back pain we start to get the hip pain we start to get to whatever they may be presenting with but that's all right because we can still execute deadlifts once per week and modify as needed for the time period being without overloading and overthrowing or overloading the stimulus on the person and and leaning into those niggles so that's what I took from the SFMA. Um, I, they still do courses. I'd recommend doing the courses. I, I learned a lot in those and, and just meeting the other clinicians and people that were involved. That It was mainly, I think I was, me and uh, Cam Elliott went and did it. Me and Cam Elliott were the only two, I think, coaches in the room. Everyone else was like an osteo, physio, chiro and all of that sort of stuff. Um, I would recommend doing the SFMA. I think it's a fantastic course. Uh, the level one was significantly more more influential than the level two I, I wouldn't recommend doing the level two if you're going to do one of them just do the level one uh, the level two got into like programming and all of that and that's where I think the application really fell down and we started to move back into their FMS sort of structure which doesn't make sense to me from a movement uh, assessment screening strategy the next thing was PRI for myself. So um, PRI is still the most influential movement sort of framework lens or concept that I have been exposed to. Um, it is the foundation of a lot of the things that I believe to be true around human movement. Um, and a lot of the stuff that they showed and some of the movement assessments that they did, we used to execute a lot on uh, in back at the old gym before COVID. Um, and PRI really showed you or the, the crux of what PRI assessments or what I took from the PRI assessments was that we're trying to better understand relative movement of specific joints. So their, their teachings go through a bunch of skeletal based things of understanding how joints move on top of each other and how those relative motions uh, sort of occur at different joint angles and joint positions and different forces and, and all of that sort of stuff. Um, and that was really beneficial because it really gave me a good model and a good lens to understand this skeletal these skeletal positions that people find themselves in. Um, where I think 
the PRI movement screening breaks down is that the only interventions that they really talk about are these low, I call them low threshold drills, uh, very isometric, breathing focused, unloaded, uh, close to the ground, all of that sort of stuff, which fundamentally is just not training. Uh, And I think, again, if you have a principle driven mindset around PRI, you can take those principles of the movement and the relative motion and what we're trying to see within the client's uh, movement capacity, but you can apply those same sort of concepts into loaded movements. Uh, And that ultimately became a lot of my center of mass teachings and all of that sort of stuff from an education perspective uh, and all of the things that I currently am talking about heavily and what I plan on talking about more over next year. Um, So PRI uh, was my next exposure. With PRI, I was over at Cressy and he did a sort of a modified sort of SFMA-ish, FMS, uh, PRI sort of hybrid approach. Uh, That was what I brought to uh, Strength Culture 1.0. But over time, uh, and and again, coming back to that Cressy quote, movement screens need to, they they can't be prescriptive, they must be descriptive. Um, I think I fell in the, the, the hole of movement screens and what we were doing became, becoming prescriptive. And that was that, as Chili's trying to dig a hole in a pillow, and that was that uh, all of my processes around my movement screens, it didn't really matter what was presented. All of a sudden, I was just seeing the same things and I was just looking at the same things and prescribing the same things and all of that sort of shit. Uh, it would be like a 99 hip lift into a plank or it would be a 99 hip lift with left side IR bias uh, with a, with an adductor roll squeeze um, and then into some sort of like lateral flexion drill or whatever it might be. It just became very like algorithmic in its approach. And over time, I was starting to realize that a lot of this shit is just good training. A lot of these movement screens fall apart when you actually understand how to load people correctly and program correctly in the gym. Um, And that is the crux of what I think good movement screening is now for us. And that is just observing loaded movement, observing a squat, identifying what's happening, looking at positions of the trunk and how that's influencing the hip, knee and ankle function, looking at the bench press and identifying what is going on, what are they, what is their capacity with bench press and their positions that they find and how is that leading into um, different prescriptions for accessory movements or cueing or loading strategies or um, all of those sort of things. Good movement is the crux and if you have... And it doesn't matter how detailed you go down these wormholes of different movement screens. When you come back out and view it for what it is, we're really just looking at good relative motion at joints, a management of center of mass that is productive to, for the outcome that we're looking at, and then progressive movement exposure over time. And that movement exposure could come from things like range of motion, or it could come from things like volumes and intensities uh, and frequencies, the big rocks of programming. That is the crux of what good movement screens are. The fine-tuned, nitty-gritty, this assessment tells me this and that, I just think they, they they don't matter in the grand scheme of things. Yes, you need to understand the foundational skeletal positions and relative motions and all of that sort of stuff, that's really important and I teach it. However, the the crux of a good coach takes that understanding and applies it to loaded movement. That is the goal with the movement screens and that is why we no longer go down the nitty-gritty movement assessments that we used to do. It is simply just observing 
good mo- or observing movement, trying to describe it in a productive way in our head. All right, this person, uh, they're extended, their pelvis is rolled forward. That's limiting hip internal rotation. We've got a center of mass that's transitioning forward. They're on their feet. They're, they're on their the balls of their feet. They feel pressure at the front. They're struggling to stabilize a bar path. They're struggling to access internal rotation at the bottom of their bench press. And that's, telling, and, and that's leading the arm to drift out to the side and lateralize the elbow position. They're trying to find external rotation they're trying to find abduction because they don't have access to adduction all of that principle driven idea around the skeletal position movement and center of mass management is still there it's just that it's now within the confines of good training and i think that is the crux of what good understanding around human movement is and that's why that is now what i educate on i explain the specifics of the skeleton but then it's laid into actually good training, good programming, uh, and good movement, uh, sort of setting up movements in, in productive ways around the gym. So, um, yeah, that's sort of my journey and my history, and that's sort of where I'm, I'm at from now with my current thoughts and rationales around them. I just don't think, for the most part, I just don't think they're that necessary uh, to understand exactly what's going on. We can just use good understanding around loaded movements in the gym the global patterns split squats tell us a lot about how the both the front and the posterior hip uh sort of function uh just little things like can somebody experience a lengthened glute sensation can people actually get into a lengthened glute position so can they actually stretch their glute because if they can stretch their glute and they can feel awareness and they can feel it working that tells me that they have hip internal rotation they have hip flexion they have hip adduction if we can load a glute in the lengthened position we've cleaned that up so just understanding that we can go and do a B stance RDL, something that David Gray does really a lot of and promotes a lot of go and do a B stance RDL. And if you can experience glute tension in the bottom position, not just hamstring, not just back, but if we can actually lengthen and tension that glute in that bottom position, it's telling us that we have those prerequisites of good movement of hip IR adduction and hip flexion. That's telling me the pelvis is in the right space. That's telling me the rib cage is in the right space. That's telling me the center of mass is in the right space. And we're using just good movement understanding within training related processes. And that's the crux of what I think and what I believe now from a movement screening perspective. But for me, I had to go through all of those courses and go through all of that context to get to where I'm currently at. Um, But the good thing is for you, if you want to learn this sort of shit, start with the coaching foundations course. And then when my understanding movement uh, seminars start rolling, come to one of those seminars because uh, you will learn all of the processes and, and, and my journey to where I'm currently at with my understanding of human movement. So again, one more plug for the episode, but the Coaching Foundation course goes through a lot of that, especially in the movement uh, module. And you can sort of understand my my model way of thinking around the skeleton, the bone first model, uh, understanding skeletal position, understanding gravity's influence on the skeletal position, and then how we can productively program around that to access new ranges, increase mobility, increase performance, increase increase capacity. And again, team meeting, one word saves 10% on both courses. Um, That was a big ramble. Hopefully you could follow along with that. Uh, If you have any further questions related to movements and assessments and all of that sort of stuff, 
just let me know. Shoot me a DM, fill out the form on the website. Um, I hope to see more of you jumping into the courses, the foundational courses. They're both set now, which I'm really keen for. Business 101 for all the first half of the conversation and training, uh, the training model course for the second half of the conversation. Uh, there's plenty in there to unpack and there's plenty of, of practical application for all of those sort of things from both business and coaching. So thank you very much. Uh, team meeting is 10% off for both those courses. I will see you next week and yeah, thank you. Bye.